Our scripture reading is Matthew 10, 24 through 39. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And no one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, really, for that one, for that text. Woo! All right. Uh, What's that? Uh, Seth mentioned that we do all play questions. If you're new at Genesis, what that means is that we... Who's ever preaching throws out questions, non-rhetorical questions designed to really hear the voice of the chorus or the symphony, because it's so much better than just one voice. So my first all-play question is, what word or phrase out of that beautiful, simple text stood out to you, whether positively or negatively? Say it again. Fear. Fear. Yep, do not fear those who can destroy body. Just fear those who can throw you in hell. It's a nice one. Hi, kids. What else? Sword. I've not come to bring peace. Even though my name is Prince of Peace, I've come to bring a sword. Thank you very much. Setting. Pe- yeah. I've come to set a man against his father. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I mean, we can see that. <laughs> you know, it's not too big of a stretch. But that was not <laughs> I think I hear some hisses. <laughs> what else? Dark and light. Dark and light. Thanks, Charlie. Denying Jesus, acknowledging Jesus. Not worthy. Yeah, not worthy of me. Jesus says that. Whoa, whoever denies me, is not worthy of me, who's ever, you know, there's a list of two or three things. What else? Beelzebul. Beelzebul. Yeah. Uh, Nick is here. Nick invited me to record on the eighth day this last week, and that's the word that I stumbled over, and if you heard it, I actually laughed because I had such a hard time actually saying that word. Um, Because I wanted to say Beelzebub, but it's Beelzebul, and so I got all confused and messed up. So there's that. So what do we do with this text? 
doesn't play well with others. It's a little scary. Doesn't seem to leave a lot of room for those of us who aren't perfect yet. Amen? So, why did I pick it? There was three other choices. Actually, there's more than three this week. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna leave that answer up to you at the end of the sermon at three o'clock <laughs> for you to decide. So option one of what we can do with this text is decide Jesus meant what he said, then we should follow this teaching to the letter of the law. That's an option. Option two, it's all metaphor. Jesus doesn't really mean what he seems to mean. A sword must mean something else. Once we find out what he really did mean, then we'll like him again. That's an option. Option three, Jesus is leading a group of people out of a centuries-old social and religious identity and into a new way of thinking, believing, and behaving. So his words need to have the effect of ripping hair off of a leg with wax. My title of my sermon today is Jesus and Leg Wax. <laughs> convinced it's the first sermon in 2,000 years that's called that. I'm also convinced there's some of you out there who have been waiting for this sermon to be preached your whole life. So um, I'm going to go with option three, that Jesus really is helping a group of people leave one centuries-old religious and social construct that would have been so inherent to how they live that he's going to have to do some teaching that's going to feel like <sniffs> he's going to have to be really, really intense and bold with what he says. And so, um, question, this is not an all play because it's too personal. Have you ever felt like, regarding some tribe, whether it be a family or religious system, might even be a government like Republican or Democrat party might be a political thing, where you felt like you no longer fit in the tribe that you used to really feel at home in? Have you ever felt like that? You gotta remember Jesus, this is Matthew 10. So Jesus has been sitting around the campfire with these disciples. They've been eating lots and lots of hummus and taking long walks with each other. They have talked endlessly about what it means to be in the kingdom of God, his father. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him cast out demons and do all kinds of really crazy stuff. They've also seen the religious leaders really have an interesting reaction to him. They've, they've, they've seen him get rejected. They've seen him get embraced by people who did not fit within the tribe in which they all grew up in. And the context of these verses, when you read a passage like this, so this is 15 or so verses, you have to find out where is it situated within the larger thing that's happening. You can't just pull it out. You can't just pull a verse out, like Jesus saying, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. And he's, well, that's why I believe in war, because even Jesus said he did not come to bring peace. So there you go. Now, you can go ahead and believe in war. You just can't attribute it to that verse. 
Amen? So, um, nervous laughter, chuckles, not sure what we feel about that. Thank you. (laughs) The context is this. In the previous verses in Matthew 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out to do alone what they used to all do together. Now, they were two by two, but they used to all be in a group. Jesus is leading them. Jesus is doing most of the stuff, the miraculous stuff, like turning water into 180 gallons of wine, (laughs) stuff like that. And he says to them, proclaim the good news that the reign of God has come. Cure the sick, raise the dead, don't, don't take any extra money or clothes. When you enter a house, if you find it worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not, shake the dust off your feet and leave that town. And then he says, see, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. All play question, who is the them that Jesus is talking about in that verse? Beware of them. Who's the them? People in their synagogue, so it's their tribe. Beware of your tribe. Now that's, that's, that's an intense teaching. Beware of your family. Beware of your tribe. If you do what I have been doing, they will treat you the way that they have treated me. That's what he's saying. So whatever else his teaching is about, it's about what happens to you and in you and through you when you're sent out by Jesus into the world, out of your social and religious identity and into something entirely new. This text is about that. So, there's three movements in this text. Uh, The first movement is the reality of teachers and masters and disciples and slaves. And when he says, uh, a student is not greater than his teacher, a servant is no greater than his master. The second movement is about what you should fear and not fear. And then the third movement is that awkward bit about the sword and hating your family. So, let's take it one by one. And I want to read each section again because... The words are so intense that you probably didn't get it all when Micah read it, even though she read it so well. A student is no greater than his teacher. A servant is no greater than his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like their master. If the people call the head of the house Beelzebul, did it again, Nick, just imagine what they're calling the members of his household. So, um, we have, this, we have the, the reality of there are disciples and there are teachers. There are slaves and there are masters. And Jesus is saying, first of all, that if you claim me as your master or as your teacher, then what people say about me, they're going to say even worse about you. That's the reality. Now, here's the all-play question. And try to climb out of the Sunday school squirrel Jesus answer. Why in the world would people say bad things about Jesus when he's doing good things like curing diseases and healing lepers and setting people free and feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of fish? Loaves of fish? 
loaves and fish. Why? They're scared. Jenny, scared of what? Oh, Jen, Jenny, oh my gosh. Hi, Jen. I know, I know, it's so great. Okay, they're scared of? Yes. So it brings up fear, which is interesting because the whole next movement is about fear. So Jesus is tracking on what people are thinking and saying. So yes, when things that are out of the ordinary happen, when people who are oppressed by the very tribe that you're in are suddenly included, that raises fear. Legitimate fear. And I'm not even saying like good people, bad people. I'm just saying like when your tribe acts a certain way for a certain number of years and when all the religious leaders back that up time and time again and then another powerful religious leader says, actually, those people, those oppressed people are the very people I've come for. Remember, Jesus says this. In Luke 4, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release for the captives, to set the eyes of the blind so that they can see. And when that stuff is more than just like, because that's actually in Isaiah. I mean, that's, a, that's in, from the prophets that all the religious leaders would would quote and read and give sermons on. It's all awesome until it starts to actually happen. And then fear rises up. Thank you, Jen. So good. So there was four responses to, and remember that uh, Jews in the time of Jesus lived under the occupation of Rome. That was the empire. So Rome said that there is a Lord and Savior named Caesar, and that was the propaganda that you could read on the coins and that was going up all, all over the world that, that if you believe in the Lord and Savior of Caesar, then you will inherit eternal life in the kingdom of Rome. I mean, this is all the propaganda that they were saying. So there was four general Jewish responses to Roman rule. The first was a group called the Essenes. And I'll do this quick because I know this is starting to feel like college uh, 101, but the Essenes, their response to Roman rule was to withdraw. They had little colonies and communities where it was us four, no more, shut the door, it's us, we're good, no one out, no one in, that's the response. Uh, response number two was the zealots. There were some disciples that were zealots, and the zealots' response to Roman rule was to overthrow them using violence if possible or when possible, or if necessary. The third response was the Pharisees. We read a lot about the Pharisees. Their response was to stand against the Roman rule by being as holy as you possibly could be, by following all of the 613 laws as perfectly as you could, thus all the cleansings and washings and who's in and who's out. And then the fourth were the, were the Sadducees, and they responded to the Roman rule by cooperating with Rome. So um, Herod and others, they, they would have been in that group, that we're going to survive by you scratch your back, your, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, we're going we're gonna to cooperate. So those were the four responses generally that Jews had in the time of Jesus to Rome. And then the disciples, when they're sent out, what category do they fall into of those four? 
wink, wink, nod, nod. Say it again, Becky. They don't fit into those four. So because they don't fit into those four, Jesus says, go out, cure the diseases that you see, heal, cast out demons, make friends with oppressed people. What's gonna happen when you do that? That's an all-play question. It upsets the balance of power. It upsets the balance of power. Empire doesn't like that. And that sounds so like, oh, you know, like, uh, um, um, like I'm getting political. And I'm just saying the reality in the time of Jesus and the reason why he was nailed to a cross and the reason why he's doing this teaching is because he was suggesting a different alternative to these four. When he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me, I'm crossing my arms. I need to uncross my arms. I'm getting intense. When he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he was saying that that like actual good news to the actual poor. What's, here's an all play question, what's actual good news to the actual poor? Freedom, help, inclusion, hope, enough food, generosity, being seen, thanks Mel, a way out, thanks dad. A new system, Greg? New system. So what Jesus was trying to do, and he was sending these young people out into the world. You know, they were probably, I mean, they are anywhere from, you know, 15 to 21 years old. And he was saying, I am sending you out. Uh, and what does he say? I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So Jesus knew what he was doing when he said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What does that mean? Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Anyone have an idea on that? Say it again. Pray for peace, prepare for war. Exactly. Um, Be ready for anything? Oh, that's a good one. Now, into that whole, imagine you're the disciples. This is not a history lesson. This, you're, an actual, you're actually being sent out by an actual Jesus into the world with these assignments. What's your next feeling? You are terrified. terrified. And if you're not terrified, you're not paying attention. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. So verse 26 have no fear of them. But before, it's like, they're gonna throw you, they're gonna flog you, they're gonna, but, but don't have any fear of them. <laughs> Which I would be going like, no big thing, ain't nothing but a thing. <laughs> have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. Nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, Proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So don't be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now that is a really intense passage right there. So let's look at the sparrows, right? Sparrows. <laughs> Such a cute little thing he throws in there. It's interesting that he brings up the fact that sparrows fall. Why does he do that? Because that's life, Jenny. Yep. It's foreshadowing, Joe, and then someone said it. That's what they're afraid of happening to them. Sparrows fall, and so will you, and so will I, Jesus is saying. Because this is a different category. It's a category where I'm encouraging you to lift up those who are oppressed, to love your enemies instead of wage war against them. And in so doing, what is whispered will be shouted from the rooftops. Don't worry if, you're, if your things that you're doing in your life feel small. Don't, don't worry if the people that you're sitting across from who are so outcast, don't worry if no one else knows the life you're breathing into them. There will be a time where these whispers that you give one to another will be shouted from the rooftops. But right now, they're a whisper. And it's okay. And you may fall because of it. But don't worry about that. Because if you understand, Jesus is saying, that the Lord that is in heaven values you even more than a sparrow that falls, in fact, much more, then you're not, you don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to worry about being flogged, even though that's scary. And you don't even have to worry about acknowledging me before others. Because when you understand that you are valued by the God in heaven that put me on earth to do this work, then whatever else happens, it's all good. Jesus is saying. You are of unsurpassable worth to God, Jesus is saying. And I'm leading you into a reality where you're gonna whisper that message to people and it's gonna upset things. So third movement, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross by the way, first time Jesus ever mentions the cross is right here in Matthew 10. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So this is like the hardest of this passage. So four things to keep in mind super quick. Jews in the time of Jesus believed that the Messianic age would be preceded by a time of disharmony between families and social relationships. That's what Micah 7, 5, and 6 is all about. That's what Jesus is quoting here. So Jews in the time of Jesus would hear that, not primarily as, okay, go out and hate your family now. 
And some of you are like, man, that's easy. I already do that. (laughs) Jews in the time of Jesus, his disciples and others would have heard that as Jesus saying, the time of the Messianic age is now. It's coming. It's in my person. Here it comes. And Jesus isn't, in fact, telling people to hate their families, even though it sounds like it is, because Jesus affirms the commandment to love and honor your father and mother, elsewhere in the scriptures. He isn't teaching the disciples to hate their families, but he is expanding what it means to be a part of a family. He was broadening and redefining the question, who is my family? And again, in the social and religious construct in which all of those people have been born, the identity of tribe and family I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am of the tribe of Judah. Abraham is my father. That's my family. Moses is my teacher. See what I'm saying? So Jesus is saying we're expanding that notion. Now, most of us Gentiles in the room, as we sit in the JCC, are like, whoop, whoop, that's awesome. They expanded the family so we could come in. We don't see the tension in that. And what that would have caused would have been so intense. It would have caused anger and rioting, not by bad people, just by people who are like, you are upsetting too many things right now. So he's broadening and redefining the question, who's my family? And then the word hate in the Bible generally refers to priority and preference, not emotional hatred. So in Malachi 1, Jesus says this, or we read this, Jesus doesn't say it because it's Malachi, or Malachi, if you want to pronounce it that way. (laughs) Comic relief. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. Did God hate Esau? Did the God who is love hate Esau? No, the word actually in the the Hebrew has to do with, I have put Jacob first, even though he was born second. And that's what I've chosen to do. That's what that means. So when we read the word hate, um, it is about prioritizing the purposes of God above your tribe. That's what it's about. And that is, that is enough of a confrontation. So what do we do with all that, right? The room is quiet. Brows are furrowed. Half of you don't want to come back to Genesis. What do we do with all that? This teaching that Jesus is inviting people into an entirely different way of thinking, believing, behaving, a different response to religion and to empire. And he's sending us out to do what he did. So two pastoral statements and then a wrap-up. Pastoral statement number one, if you no longer fit within your religious and social tribe, if you have felt like the thoughts that you have been thinking and the behaviors that you have been led to, and the people that you have been led to no longer fit in your tribe. What I want to say to you as a pastor is you're okay. 
You're in good company. Press on. If you're doing the work that Jesus did, proclaiming freedom for oppressed people, sight to the blind, you're doing the work of Jesus, even if your tribe doesn't accept it. Pastoral statement number two. Understanding these teachings is an invitation into paradox, which is so uncomfortable. Paradox is holding two opposed, seemingly opposing things at the same time. We would much rather have things be in black and white, easy, in and out. I'm here, you're there. It's all good. But the teachings of Jesus, when he says, those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it, that's a paradox. And you have to start learning how to hold the tension of two seemingly opposite things, like finding your life, and losing your life. Somehow, Jesus is saying, by losing your life, everything you've thought about up until now, everything that's felt secure up until now, you will experience a kind of freedom that is breathtaking. And he says that based on his own experience. Amen? That's what he did. And it wasn't easy. So those are my two pastoral statements for those of you who need to hear that. Robert Mulholland wrote these words. I loved, Robert Mulholland is the guy that said, let's not be in the world for Christ. Let's be in Christ for the world. He wrote this, there will always be a creative tension between our spiritual pilgrimage and the world in which it is lived out. If we attempt to undo this difficult tension, we move either into an unworldly spirituality that isolates us from the world, think the Essenes, or into a worldly spirituality that isolates us from the radical demands of a vital relationship with God. That's why we can't look at this text as just metaphor. And if we just figure out what it means, we'll like Jesus again. Here's the thing. Jesus loves you, but there are times when you won't like him. (laughs) Amen? Amen. If you haven't met the Jesus that's annoying, you might not have met him yet. And that's okay. But you will be led to that Jesus from time to time. Loves you, accepts you. You're so in. There's no outside of inside. And you'll be led to places that make you afraid. That's why Jesus said things like, don't be afraid, I'm always with you. Um, I've prepared... Um, a place in heaven for you. My father has many mansions. You know, you're in the family. You're all good. You're, you're accepted. You're loved. And go out and do these things that I'm calling you to do. Jesus came to announce good news to the poor, to release the captives, to provide recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to announce the year of the Jubilee, which means ali ali oxen free. That's what it means. All the debts are canceled. Come home. Come home, all you rebels and renegades. Come home, all of you who have screwed it all up a thousand times over. Come home. When you become like your teacher, Jesus, you will also start announcing good news to the poor. You'll start releasing captives. And when you do that, 
It'll upset the system and it'll cause division. And when you shout what's been whispered to you, it will take you farther than your social and religious identity allows and you will fall like a sparrow. But God's eyes are on you. Amen. And even if you fall, you have nothing to fear. And when you hide your life in Christ, you will eventually find freedom and joy. And that's what it means that there's no outside of inside. You might have to leave a tribe, but when you hide yourself in Christ, who holds all things together, your life will be okay. And those words are desperately needed for 2017. Amen? So we're going to move into a time of silence, after which time I'll read the prayers of response, and then Becky will come up and lead us into the, into the Eucharist. So 60 seconds of silence, where we ask God to speak to us, where we notice where God has loved us and how we should respond. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us now.